0: Good afternoon everybody and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay and today we're getting into the parable of the rich fool. And this is a beautiful parable, very important one for us today, because in the United States it seems as though we we have a multitude that would still claim to be Christian, yet often we find their God is truly in their belly or in their pocketbook. And so, this parable is one that is going to be necessary for us to be able to, to glean from. But is it really a parable? This is another question that we're going to have to answer today as we look to the way in which Jesus speaks about this person and in, in these events. So, without further ado, we will turn to the Lord in prayer, and then we will begin in Luke chapter 12. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done for us and for everything that you're about to show us. Lord, it's very important for us to receive of this teaching that Jesus has today because we may very well find ourselves guilty of the same. And Lord, if it's the case that we could find our place at repentance so that we may be able to turn back to you and back to what is most important to you, and that is the welfare of your kingdom. And so, Lord, we give you praise for this opportunity and ask that blessing upon our hearts and upon our eyes that we may see and hear and come to a knowledge of the truth and the Holy Spirit by Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, guys, we're going to begin in Luke chapter number 12. We're going to start off in verse number 13. We're going to work our way through this particular parable unto verse number 21. And the scripture reads, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, You fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then whose shall those things be which you have provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God now uh, verse 21 a very important point that jesus was bringing out about these two guys that were fussing with each other concerning an inheritance that they would receive is the fact that that being rich toward god is is being rich toward the work of god toward the things of god towards the house of god towards towards the the people of god whom you know need assistance all of these things would would be the the point of being rich toward god Keep in mind, from from what the teaching was that Jesus gave in Matthew twenty five, that that we see beginning in verse number thirty one, the those that Jesus would say, "Well done, good and faithful servant," versus those who said, "Depart from me, you workers of iniquity," as being before the throne of God, and the sheep being sh- sheep being separated from the goats, is the teaching that Jesus gave as concerning. Inasmuch as you did to the least of one of these, you did this for me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me to to eat. When when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was without home, you sheltered me. When all all of these different things. And then, if you recall in Matthew twenty-five, the disciples of Jesus said, well, well, "When did we clothe you? When did we feed you? When did we visit you in prison?" When do- When did we do all these things? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did this to the least of one of your brethren, you've done this to me. And so when we connect what Jesus taught there with what Jesus is saying to these these men who are fighting over an inheritance, that they're looking to Jesus for an answer to who gets the inheritance, Jesus said, y'all better be, both better be careful because your desire is more in the things than in the purpose of those things. Did you hear that? Your desire is more in the things than in the purpose for which those things exist. Now, why do all things exist? Answer, to glorify God and to glorify His kingdom, and so the wealth that I may possess is for the purpose of god's kingdom the status that i may have obtained is for the purpose of god's kingdom the connections that i may hold are for the purpose of god's kingdom as we discover from being born again and entering into the faith that everything god has blessed us with up to this point and all the connections we may have within the world and all of the wealth and possessions that we may have obtained All of this is summed up in Christ as the blessed giver to us and thus is for his command to be able to be used for his glory. And so when when he says here in verse number 21, he says, so is he that lays up treasure for himself and not and is not rich toward God, the point of being rich toward God, and maybe this is something that that we need to hear today, the point of being rich toward God is for those blessings that we do have. Now, this doesn't mean that every Christian is going to be wealthy. I certainly, for one, am not. And there are a lot of folks that that are in my sphere of connection, people that I'm close to that are not wealthy either. And so what we find is is that it doesn't necessarily mean that because we're children of God that we're all going to be rich. as concerning the world's definition of wealthy, a lot of money in the bank, a lot of cars, a lot of boats, a lot of houses, a lot of this, a lot of that, a lot of the other. But in those things that we have been blessed to obtain or possess, that we know have been given as gifts of the Lord... are are ours for the good pleasure of the Lord to use in His kingdom. And so if we truly be rich toward those things that are of God, then we acknowledge that that wealth is, is for the purpose of being a blessing to God's people, God's house, God's kingdom, and ultimately the lost that we would be seeking to bring to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. But this isn't the the nature of this people's heart, as is revealed in Scripture here, beginning in verse number 13, as you consider these guys, listen to what they have to say. And one of the companies said unto him, Now the company being that, that innumerable multitude that has now surrounded Jesus, while the Pharisees and the scribes, those lawyers, were... Still fussing at him, of course, and you remember that Jesus earlier in the the yesterday and then on Friday he would warn as disciples, not to carry the same leaven of the Pharisees, being hypocrites themselves, but that they remain true to the ministry that Jesus has blessed them with in the service of their king, and that they be a faithful people to to give instead of take, to serve instead of require service, to bless instead of require blessing. I mean, the whole nine yards, basically being antithetical to everything that the Pharisee was. And so we find that, that at this point, Jesus would be dealing with one in a group among this multitude of people, and, and he would say under the company of, of the one in the company that would come to him, he would say, Uh, Or rather, they would say, just one second, what I'm working on now is making my phone hush up because it's trying to talk to me. (laughs) But it said in 13, one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother. So they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, "Okay, Jesus, I need you to be the middleman here because my brother just won't listen to me at all. And by the way, this is a familial connection this is family that is fighting with each other and i see this happen all the time in fact i've seen even within the churches that i've served among the people that claim to be christians a battle that happens even before the death of their of of what should have been their loved one i mean there should have been enough respect and love that existed that they wouldn't be fighting over the inheritance and the things of the person's house and the things of the person's bank account while they're still sitting there alive I mean, enough respect to at least hold back all of your grievances and differences and wars until after the person has departed from this world. But you're fighting right there in the room as to who's going to get what while the preachers there praying with the person who is sick i mean it, it it's pretty sad but it's it's been experienced before and this is the same situation that you have after the death of a loved one there's a battle between these two brothers as to who's going to get the wealth of their inheritance of the father's household, apparently, and and so they turned to Jesus for the answer as to who's going to get the wealth. And 13, one of the companies said, speak to my brother. In other words, tell my brother that he's supposed to allow me to have everything. Speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And what did they get from Jesus? And I love this point because this is the way that we should be responding to each other. What did they get from Jesus? Jesus said to them, "Man." Now, this is a generic uh, a generic term that would be made to both of them. In other words, when he said man who made me a judge or a divider over you, when he said man, he wasn't addressing the specific person. He was addressing both of them, but what he did in saying man was lump them together in the same category as being equals. Whereas one may have been older than the other and the younger desiring to have a part of the inheritance where the older who, who had received the inheritance, is not interested in doing anything for the younger, regardless of how this scenario would play out. We see that when Jesus addresses them, he addresses them as equal. He called them man. He didn't say older or younger. He just simply said man, as in Adam, as in mankind. He said, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Now, there's a difference that's being spoken of here concerning the judge and concerning the divider there's a difference between what is happening in the context of what these guys are coming to jesus over and the reality of who jesus truly is as given authority by his father and so indeed jesus is the judge over both of these guys but not as concerning the wealth or the provisions of a father's household or of the the goods of this earth. Jesus is the judge over their soul and over their life. And we discover the reality of him being the judge as we get into his teaching when he explains to them the, the fallacy of their thinking concerning the way that they're treating each other. And so Jesus is going to judge them, but he's not judging one over the other as concerning the earthly wealth that they're both trying to obtain. Jesus is judging them both together concerning the wickedness of their heart and the covetousness of their, of their heart, dealing with their desire of things on the earth instead of those things which be in heaven. Now, Contrast this with what the Apostle Paul taught in the book of Colossians, in chapter number three, when he, when he would say in the first verse, he said, "If you are a child of God, then set your affection on the things above, not on the earth." He said, "Set your heart to to Christ and and the heavenly realm instead of those things, this earth." Understanding that you were dead, and that it was Jesus who has brought you back to life, and so all of those death, all of that death, rather, I should say, that, that you were in your trespasses and sins is revealed in Ephesians chapter number 2 in verse number 1, when the Apostle Paul also would say, for you were dead in your trespasses and sins, being under the power of the prince of the air, being a child of disobedience and, and, and in this world separated from god and so there was a period of time in which you were dead but now that you have come to christ now that you have received yeshua and, and you have believed in the power of the Father through the Son in his sacrifice as, as he offered him to pay the penalty for your sin. you've been born again. You're no longer under that penalty. you're no longer under the authority of the world nor of, of that old devil that would would so easily rule over your heart before Christ. You're no longer stuck in this this world. Because you've been delivered by Jesus, and and the Spirit has sealed you under the day of redemption. You are one of His purchased possessions and through adoption, a son or a daughter of God. Hallelujah! And so, it is given to us to be mindful now, not of our own desire, nor of our own treasure, nor of our own will or want, but that we would be a people very earnestly paying attention to our Father's will, paying attention to our Father's kingdom, paying attention to our Father's wants, so that we may be able to please Him by serving Him in this kingdom that He has established us in while on this earth, so that in the day that we do meet Jesus, we will meet him like the sheep did, where we we won't realize the multitude of blessings simply because we provided food for those that were suffering. We provided water for those that needed. We provided shelter for those who were out of the cold. We provided clothes for those who needed it. We We did some of the most simple things that are in this life to be able to do that don't cost us much. just simply cost us a little bit of love, really. And and in in that little cost we may have to face this life that, that others would receive of a blessing and that we would meet God with such a clear conscience. You think about a person who has several hundred thousand dollars, and there be a need of a person who might need four or five thousand. What difference is that that amount to a person who makes a multitude of hundreds of thousands? But in that, we would be considering this person that has this need, and then go, mm, you know, I might give them ten or twenty. I might give them a hundred. Easily, the, the whole sum could be produced. Then we discover that we stand before Jesus, and he said, look at the amount that I blessed you with, and you couldn't even take care of this need that one of your brethren had? Really? And as much as you did not do to the least of these, I'm not going to do for you. I mean, when you look at yesterday's point of confession and denial, and he said, if you confess me before men, then I'll confess you before my Father. But if you do not confess me before men, I will not confess you before my father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you. So it's very important for us to understand that as we come into this gentleman who, who would present himself before Jesus to say, tell my brother that he's supposed to give me a piece of mine inheritance. And Jesus would then look at them, even though he is the judge over their soul, he's not come to be the judge of people's inheritance. That should be already settled between the children and the parents and thus he he comes and he says who made me a judge or a divider over you and by the way that's a very important point that i want to make also just as it wouldn't be Jesus' position to judge what the parents should have trained the children to respect, just as it, just as it isn't Jesus' position to have to judge between an inheritance of a brother and a brother because it should have already been settled by, by the family before the death of the loved one, is the same point as it isn't the church's job to train your children up in the knowledge of the Lord. It's not the church's job. It isn't the pastor's job to train the the children up that, that that he gets an opportunity maybe one day for one hour in a week to be able to have the children around him to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it isn't the parent. It isn't the pastor's job or the church's job to train the children or to raise the children or to encourage the children in the church. It's the parents of the children's job to be faithful to Jesus, and it's the parents job to to train the children in the home six days a week before they even come to church and perhaps it's the parents job to come to church more than just sunday morning as well so that the children gain an understanding of the importance of the house of god but if the parents fail in their in their work given to them by God to raise up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and they do not train their children to be obedient to Christ because well probably the parents are not obedient to Christ but chasing after their own lust and so the children learn the lust of the parents and children follow after that lust instead of God which is why we have such an exodus of of the generation z they're called now or the millennial generation that would be after me or generation x that is me that you don't find much in the church anymore nowadays because we learn from our parents to chase after the lust of the flesh instead of chasing after the purity of god and and thus you have this exodus, and and then you blame the church because somehow it's the church's fault that your children haven't learned, or you blame the pastor. You blame everything else but looking in the mirror to discover the actual root problem of why they don't go to church anymore. It starts in the home, and the truth is revealed right here when when they come to Jesus saying, well you tell him that he's supposed to do this for me. And Jesus said, look, I'm not going to get into this. I'm not going to deal with what with your issues that you have within your own family. That was a responsibility of your parents. That's a responsibility of, of, of your family to have ironed this out. It's not my place. And that's true for, for the children of a church. It's true for for so many things elsewise, there is a responsibility to the individual Christian to desire God. There is a responsibility to the individual Christian to attend and show up and actually apply themselves to growing in the Lord. There's a responsibility to being a Christian. And if you, if you think that everything's just going to be handed to you and this is the way that Christianity should be, no wonder you're falling away from the faith. It's because even Jesus isn't going to just sit there and, and hand-feed you everything. Jesus and the Father expect labor. They expect discipline. They expect work on your side. And if you haven't been doing that, uh, I'm thinking it's time to repent. It's like, oh, pastor, you always just so rough. Maybe it's just so true and it hurts. I've dealt with it too. I'm guilty of it as well. But it goes down, he says, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then it comes down and he said to them, you better listen up. Uh, that That's the point of take heed and beware of covetousness. He said, you better listen up. The 10th commandment is knocking on your door. You see, you know, perhaps the, the loved one that is the owner of all this inheritance isn't even dead yet. <clears throat> perhaps this fight is over something that that hasn't even transpired. And, and the issue is, is that these brothers are willing to go to war against each other, about like Esau and Jacob, about like Ishmael and Isaac, about... You know, we got a lot of examples through the scriptures that show us these little wars that that would rage amongst brethren. And and it comes down to Jesus having to warn these guys and say, look, you better take heed, beware of the 10th commandment that you're violating. Because the reality of the violation of the 10th commandment, which is thou shalt not covet. The very context of that 10th commandment in its violation is, is that you've forsaken God, the first commandment, you have, you have not loved your neighbor as yourself. You have been guilty of the seventh commandment of adultery because you're loving those possessions more than you're loving each other. And I gave you each other. The possessions are nothing comparatively. You're, you're violating the, the eighth commandment. You're violating the sixth commandment. You're about to murder each other by coming unto a position of covetousness where you would hate one another because you didn't get what you wanted. You're about to murder each other. You're about to bear a false witness against each other so that you can make this inheritance yours instead of sharing it the way you should. I mean, there's so many ways in which breaking the 10th commandment would bring forth a violation of all. And by the way, James, as we recall in chapter number two, says if you offend the law in one point, you'll find yourself guilty of the whole. So Jesus warns these guys. He says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. If your life is all about your status, you have no life at all, because it's way too much work trying to up, maintain and sustain that particular status than it is to be able to to serve god and if your life is all about your substance about your wealth about your bank accounts and your portfolios then you're not even living because you're spending so much time trying to maintain and sustain those bank accounts and portfolios that you're ignoring everything else that that is most important. And so it's very important for us to understand that our life is not the abundance of things which we possess, but our life is that which is hid in Christ that is in God, and that our life is meant as an example of Jesus' mercy, God's grace, and that our life exhibit all things for the glory of the King. And so the abundance that we may possess or the leanness that we may live through is for the glory of God. And in our abundance, we would take care of the brethren who are lean so that we still being just fine because of the the great abundance we have, will be able to take care of and provide for those who have no abundance at all, so that everybody would be able to glorify God together. Now this is exactly what you'll find at the end of Acts chapter number three, going in Acts chapter number four when 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 the the those who had abundance that began in the church would be bringing of their, excess and laying it at the apostles' feet. And the purpose behind this was that those who had an abundance, recognizing those of their brethren who were destitute and without abundance, could then be elevated through that abundance laid at the apostles' feet as they would distribute to every person as they had need. And so the wealthy could rejoice in that they had access to be able to give to those that didn't have. Those that didn't have would rejoice in the Lord because of receiving from the abundance of those who did have, and everybody is praising God through the church. Well, hallelujah, that's the way it existed for several hundred, if not a thousand years, but that's gone by the wayside now because we've no longer looked to God. We no longer look to the house of God. We now look to the government. We now look to the welfare programs and the and the stimulus payments and all this other stuff of the government we don't even consider the church anymore as a viable option for provision and that's because a lot of the people in the church would no longer consider giving for provision because they're stingy it's all about covetousness nowadays and that's pretty sad because jesus is pointing this out but it is pretty sad And so, he warns these brothers, he said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And thus, a parable comes out, a teaching. So yes, indeed, this is a parable. And even though the point is made that he would say a certain rich man, but that the scripture would say he spake a parable unto them, Well, remember in other places through scriptures where he used the word certain as concerning a particular person, it wasn't a parable at all that he was speaking about, but that it was an actual person. And so, even though this be a parable, and what a parable is, is a story that that reveals a teaching which we often use in the ministry— To be able to explain a spiritual truth, we use a context of a story or a physical thing. Be advised, a lot of times the stories that we may tell would be true stories or would be stories that we would use of the experiences that we've had in this life so they would be real characters, real issues, real stories, but that they would be told in the context without a name or without a a particular place, or scenario, so that the person and the, the event would remain anonymous, while the details of the event would be the, the teaching point. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. So, as it still stands, every time you see Jesus referring to a certain person, in this case, a certain rich man, Jesus's parable is actually dealing with a real person in a real scenario, with a real issue that he's about to have before God. And the reason why Jesus can actually do this is because Jesus was there when this man was required. Jesus was there when this man was taken by the Father. Jesus knows for Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal. (laughs) Let that soak into your bones a little bit. And we come down, And, and so this parable begins. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now, this rich man is a landowner, he's a farmer, he's he's planted a crop, and, and as is his way throughout his years of being a farmer, in this particular planting season, the ground was blessed and brought forth plentifully. And, and it was kind of baffling to him, I do believe, because in verse number 17, as he thinks within himself what shall I do? Well, if he's a, accustomed to having a regularly large crop season, this would not be a necessary thought for him because he would have already adjusted his life to be able to have the barns necessary to, to be able to pull in such an abundance of crop. But this guy is is experiencing this abundance as as kind of a first, and it was shocking to him that he would receive of such a a plentifulness of his of his crop. And so he thinks to himself, as often we have, when when we were not expecting such a return from from maybe our taxes or we weren't expecting such a return to come to us or someone of the brethren of the Lord had blessed us with, with an amazing sum that just walked up and said, the Lord has laid this on my heart and I, I believe firmly that I'm supposed to just give this to you and they a check is presented to you and you look at it and you go, oh my Lord, what in the world were you talking to them about? How did this come to pass? It's the same thing with this man that had the abundance of the crops in his field. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room to put my my crop. I have no room to put my fruits. Then he comes up with a plan. And that is often the case of the things that we do. We start to devise a plan. Now, be advised, that plan is not necessarily us praying unto the Lord and seeking His advice or seeking His direction as to what we're supposed to do with this new abundance that has come into our possession. But oftentimes we immediately start drafting up plans within our heart. we start thinking about ways in which we could utilize th- th- this abundance. We start thinking about uh, different directions that we want to want to save, we want to invest, we want to do and, and and it's all us. And really rarely do we find ourselves in prayer before God seeking for his His will in that abundance. but we must recognize that the abundance came because, of, of the Lord putting it on someone's heart to give to us. And so it's needful to be understood that when the Lord puts something on somebody's heart to do, that it must be for a purpose in His kingdom through us, that we, as we receive this abundance, would stop and go, hmm, okay, Lord, I've received this, and I've already come up with 15 things I could do with it, but not my will, thine be done, What will you have me to do? That would be the better thing. But these two brothers, they're not thinking that as concerning the inheritance, and that's why Jesus gives them the warning and gives them this parable. So this guy, he says, I know what I'll do in verse number 18. I'll pull down the current barns that I have, which is interesting to me. I didn't understand quite that point, but let's finish the verse. I'll pull down the barns that I have, and I'll build even greater ones that I may be able to to store the new abundance of all the fruits and goods that I've obtained. Why pull down the old barns? Why not just keep those and then build new ones beside them? What would be the purpose behind pulling down something that has been perfectly good and operational that you've used for how long? Decades, maybe? Maybe even if it was a family estate, centuries that would go by, that these barns were perfectly good. Why would you tear them down so that you could build greater ones when you could easily just build greater ones on another plot of land? But then it struck me. This person wasn't willing to to let go of one square foot of land that he could possibly till up to be able to have an even greater abundance outside of the new abundance that he's obtained. So if he tore down the barns that were in their current location, he could rebuild bigger barns within that location, thus not messing with any additional land that he could potentially use for planting. And so this cat was so enthralled with the abundance that he had obtained through this one season that he was willing to try and break up every ounce of land that he had left that he could muster to be able to plant instead of accepting the gift from the Lord and and using it for his will. In fact, there wouldn't have been a need to build greater barns when indeed he could have filled his barns to be perfectly satisfied for a new year of, of life, but then could have taken from the excess of what wouldn't go in those barns and gladly sharing it with all of his neighbors and especially those whom he would see that had need. And oftentimes, This is God's point to the abundances that we would obtain as being a church, which is why we have a benevolence fund, and I love using that to bless the neighbors around the community. That's so much fun. But he, he he would bring untold measures of abundance to the house of God, and the very purpose of that abundance being used to be able to take care of the community, make provisions for the community... But if the church be not a giving church, then why would God allow for the abundance to come to it? What good is that abundance going to do if it doesn't function the way God purposed it to and being a blessing to others? And thus, we find that that the same is true. If, If I am a wealthy individual and that wealth be be all locked up and stored up and hidden away. Now, I'm not talking about not being a good steward over the blessings that God has given, but certainly from the core of the wealth, there is an excess, there is an abundance that rests on top of that, that easily could be a given for community, given for church, given for missions, given for... Uh, plenty of things that would be in God's kingdom to be blessed. But if I refuse that excess, what makes me even think that God would allow for me to continue making that excess? And it it's so important to realize what Jesus is teaching here. And so he says, this will I do in verse 18. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, it's like saying, I'll I'll say to myself, uh, Self, <laughs> you've, you've, you've got a lot of goods laid up for many years. Praise God, I don't have to worry about working again. I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. Hallelujah. So happy. I can retire early. But then God sees the nature of your heart. and God deals with you thus. Look at what God sees and what God says. Verse number 20. But God said to him, you fool, you fool, you think that all of this was bestowed upon you for you? You think that I allowed this great crop, this great abundance to come to you so that you can lock it all up in greater barns and keep it all to yourself instead of being the blessing that I expected you to be? You think that I'm going to do this for you and that you're going to be able to retire early when I said if a person doesn't work, then they shouldn't eat, and the fact that if if you labor with your hands, you won't get into a lot of evil because if you're not doing anything, you have plenty of time to think about evil thoughts and the things that you could wickedly do. Do you honestly think that this is the case, that I will do this? He said, you fool. Ouch. This night. Oh, by the way, we don't know when God's going to come for us. We have no idea when our last day shall be or our last night if we make it that far. We don't know the appointment that we have with death, but we do know that it is appointed unto man once to die and then to face a judgment. And that's exactly what happened to this God. This night, your soul shall be required of you. If that's the case... Who gets all of the, the abundance of this guy's land, his wealth, his possessions? Who Who's going to get all of that? Well, the answer to that point is, who knows? Because that guy didn't spend any time establishing his inheritance and, and making known his wishes. He spent all of his time trying to build more and more and more and gain more and more and more. He was so invested in himself that he didn't care about his, his children, possibly, or his wife or his His family, he didn't care about anything but him, and that's the warning that Jesus gave of these two brothers. He's so invested in getting the treasure that you're missing all of the blessings of God. And thus Jesus said, "So is he that lays up treasure for himself, who's consumed in himself, who's full of himself, and he's not rich toward God." Oh, brethren, that we would be a people rich toward God, toward God's work, toward God's kingdom, toward God's God's children, toward, toward ministries that make a difference in procl- the proclamation of the gospel, towards all of these things, that we be a people rich in God through giving and blessing and thus being blessed and being provided for by God. Father, we thank you. And we praise you for this time together in Jesus' name and for his sake. Thank you for being with me this Wednesday. And may God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. And I look forward to tomorrow as we move forward from this point to a position of not being anxious because God's got this. And so God bless you. Take care.